I'm joined today by David Olney. How are you, David? Very good. Thank you, Tim. That's good to hear. And we also have a very special guest. Thank you, Phil Lorne, for joining us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Uh, well, we very much enjoyed our conversation last time and uh, knew we had to get you back in because we wanted to clarify a, th- a few things about the economy of resources and environment. And uh, I suppose that's known as ecological economics. Perhaps that's not quite an accurate description. but <laughs> Well, it looks at resources in the way that uh, standard economics doesn't. Quite yes. often uh, standard economics doesn't even bother with natural resources. Yeah. Yeah, but isn't there a thing in classical economics that just assumes there's always a substitute, that there's just always an alternative? That's more neoclassical. In fact, fact, if anything, ecological economics is a bit of a return back to the old classical economics. You know, Malthus, John Stuart Mill. So neoclassical is more of the late 19th century, 20th century sort of stuff. John Stuart Mill, a philosopher? Yeah, yeah, utilitarianism and economists. They all crossed the Adam boundaries. Adam Smith was a philosopher. Okay. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. And this is the point that you know, when you look at the whole world, you tend to make better economics. So maybe yeah. there's a reason why some of the classical stuff, we look back and go, hang on, big parts of that make sense. Yeah. Now, in their era of the classical economics era, Phil, they would have been in a world where there wasn't masses of people yet and you know, they kept finding new resources. Were, were they aware that they might one day hit the limits of resources? How did they perceive or understand resources from what we know? Well, they did find new resources. I guess we still find new resources, but they did recognise that there were limits. So Malthus, you've probably heard of Malthus. He was the one who came up with the idea that uh, population grows until uh, you get to a point where the population exceeds the capacity to maintain everyone at least at subsistence at a level income and then the population crashes and so forth. We've sort of uh, overcome that to some extent through technological progress and finding even more resources, but it's really been a case of putting off what Malthus said for about three or 400 years. It's probably going to end up being the case. So, so Malthus de- will be right in the end. It's a delaying tactic yeah, that's because we haven't found a way. You know, it's not like we've gone out and found a spare planet. So we're no. still at the point of going through technology, mm. we can make the cake last mm. longer, yes. but we really haven't enlarged the cake. Mitigation well, see, strategy, yeah. right? Well, yeah. We're, we're, well, the problem is where modern technologies allowed us to do is eat the capital that generates the, the flow, the income. So in the old uh, Malthus, John Stuart Mill, sort of Adam Smith days, we basically lived off the income. We lived off mm. sunshine. You know, yeah. Agriculture lives off the what's provided by sunshine. We didn't eat into the capital, the Mm. natural capital so much. Now we've uh, developed technologies that allow us to eat, not not, not just skim off the so-called income, the flow of resources, but also eat into the natural capital, which, of course, undermines the capacity to generate that income into the future. So you can... You can do this for a period of time, but, of course, it's unsustainable. Eventually, you run down the stock of natural capital to the point that it can't even provide the flow of resources that it once could. And so uh, the the classical economists recognised limits. Of course, David Ricardo was another. John Stuart Mill came up with the idea of the the stationary economy, which when Herman Daly talks about the steady-state economy, he borrows a lot of what John Stuart Mill 
referred to as the stationary. So economy. there's a historical linkage. Yes. There. So last time you were in, we were talking about cattle breeding as a way to make some of the concepts clear. So these guys would have understood that even if we had a hundred calves bought, you know, born this year on our farm, fifty of them are replacements for ones that get too old mm. or whatever. Yeah. So we really only have fifty we can sell or do anything with. Mm. Otherwise, we've lost that productive capital. Mm. So you know, listeners, to go back to you know, get that clear link in what we're talking about here is economists who understood that even if you had a hundred calves born. You don't have a hundred to sell, otherwise you've lost your productive right. capacity at the level you're at. Yeah. Plus, in those days, we we did rely more heavily upon renewable natural capital. They were starting to use coal, iron ore, but the great majority of the resources that we, uh, in fact, one of the the areas when we talk about natural, if you if you read anything about written by the classical economists on resources, they they refer to as land. And of course, we, well, okay, land's a non-renewable resource, but what it generated was a renew, renewable resource. It, it was a way of you know, converting the sun's energy into biomass, which was used to feed us mm, and clothe us, some food and fibre and so forth. Mm. So, when you tend to rely heavily upon renewable resources, I think you tend to have a greater understanding of limits. Once you've developed the technology that allows you to tap into sunshine from eons. So basically we just we use what we've been using up for the last two hundred years is is yesterday's sunshine. Coal and oil is just yesterday's sunshine. Okay? Absorbed by plants we- that have died, that have turned either fossilised into coal or turned into a liquid form oil. So we're just using up yesterday's sunshine. So we used to depend upon the sunshine at the time. Now we depend a lot upon yesterday's sunshine. But, of course, one of the problems with that, apart from anything else, is that uh, a lot of uh, what else was uh, trapped or captured. It's interesting. um, If if I was a, a federal member of parliament or a member of the government, I'd actually walk in with a lump of coal and say... This is carbon capture and storage. This mm. is nature's carbon capture and storage. You know, there's a lot of talk about how you know, we'll be able to burn coal as long mm. as we just capture the, the carbon and somehow liquefy it and put it back in the ground. Well, we had what was nature's perfect form of carbon capture and storage, and that was coal and oil. And if it wasn't for that natural carbon capture and storage, then the earth would have been too warm for complex life forms to emerge and for human beings to emerge. So we can thank coal and oil for doing its job, but we're undoing the job that coal and oil did eons ago, and that's called climate change now. So <laughs> interesting to think about it like that. We're just yeah. undoing a natural process. Wow. Yeah. And again, that natural process, as Phil said, enabled us to evolve because mm. otherwise the whole planet would have stayed in a horrible hot phase yeah, that's it. and life would have been maybe impossible but certainly wouldn't have turned out as it did. And this taps into our earlier episode with Richard Heinberg too, where you know, Richard talks about coal and oil exactly the same way. That it really is captured sunshine. Yeah, it's so the energy return on energy invested with coal and oil, you get so much bang for mm. the energy or you know, money or time you put into releasing them. Mm. And that we're just not going to have energies like that again for the foreseeable future. Mm. So we need to be really careful how we use them. But also adding what Phil just said of we're also then – undoing all that carbon capture and letting it loose again. Mm. So it's, it's, it's dangerous in two ways. We're mm. wasting really amazing energy and we're re-releasing carbon. Mm, that's right. I mean, using non-fossil like fuels is not so much of a problem 
what we should have been doing is using fossil fuels. So when you rely upon renewable resources, you have a very small population and what have you, then that's okay. The renewable energy that you're able to harness is very small. Uh, to move to a world where you can have a lot more people and have a lot more complex societies and complex forms of technologies, you need to be able to harness much more or great or greater rate of renewable energy. So we should have used fossil fuels to find a way to go from a point in time where we could sustain a very low flow of renewable energy to one where we could sustain a much higher flow. But we haven't done that. We've basically used up most of the fossil fuel and released all this carbon in the atmosphere and we still haven't placed us in ourselves in a position where if we were to abandon coal and oil, we have the renewable energy or the capacity to harness it at the levels required to sustain the number of people we now have on the planet. We've got too many people on the planet anyway, but... Uh, Ooh, but uh, Spicy. No. Well, we have. It's, it's as simple just, as that. With the uh, resources we have, there's too many people. Um, I, I was at... A, I was at the uh, United Nations holds a, a climate change conference every year, usually around late November, early December. It was meant to be in Chile, but because of all the problems they had yeah, it's it been in, in Spain... In Spain it's called the Conference of the Parties. They have one every year. You'd probably be aware of a couple of well-known ones. The, the, num- the third one was in Kyoto. Yep. That was COP3. Yeah. COP15 was Copenhagen 2009. Yep. We went to negotiate a successor treaty to supersede the Kyoto Protocol, but that fell apart, so they had a second commitment period for Kyoto. Now, the other one was COP21, Paris 2015. That's the new agreement, mm. which doesn't actually come into being until 2021. Believe it or not. So I went to the COP23 in 2017 and yeah, the issue of population came up and uh, I said it was important and I said, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, greenhouse gas emissions could be halved? <laughs> and someone said yes. I said, well, if you had the same per capita at the global level, same per capita emissions as we have today and we'd had half the number of people, you'd have half the emissions. Population matters. Yep. <laughs> it does matter. And then they look very cross-eyed and cross. Yeah. yeah. So no. that, that, this person said to me, no, 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 it's per capita emissions that, that matter. That's the only thing that matters. If, if, we get, if we can get that down, we can have as many people as we like. I said, well, I can use that same logic and say yep. if we can uh, get population down as much as we like, we can have as many per capita emissions as we like. And I think if you ask a person on the street, would you rather a smaller population and higher per capita emissions or, oh, yeah. or you don't get to enjoy the benefits of a, a lot of emissions yourself because there are lots of people what would you prefer oh my god uh, yeah and most people would prefer a smaller population but then keep <laughs> in mind what we're talking about as yeah. a world here where because mm. medical technology is so good you don't need to have three kids to guarantee one survives no so the one child policy in china absolutely necessary to achieve the economic outcome worked. they wanted and now mm. that they're saying to people you can have two kids there was an initial period mm where the birth rate did go up a bit. But what is really interesting is it's fallen back to basically one kid per couple. Mm. That the default setting, now that that's become normal, with the nature of the modern world of time pressures, resource pressures, cost of raising children, Mm. is that the majority of Chinese family, even though they're now allowed to have two, seem to be settling for one. Mm. So this is not a dastardly thing that suggests genocide. No. It's a gradual <laughs> thing that suggests with transformations in the use of technology, of the understanding of what it means to be a person, what it means to have family, the importance of community. There's all sorts of things that say you don't need three kids. Mm. You probably don't even need two. Mm. 
And if you have one kid but we build good community, mm. that's probably a really nice life. Mm. So that's something that, you know, even if it may freak people out, if we genuinely want to find a sustainable way forward, one of the fastest ways to enhance our position is to say to people, hey, look, with all the technology available, with the quality of life options available, think really seriously about having one child, two at the most, and engaging in a broader community that makes up for a smaller family. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, so in my lifetime, the uh, global population's gone. So it's just hit, it's hit 7.8 billion. Really? Wow. So it, when I was born, it was 3.4 billion. Yeah. Uh, that's oh 55 years God. it's gone from 3.4 to 7.8 billion. But that's an incredible, that's an incredible increase, but it, it's only a 1.5% per annum increase, which is very small. So uh, a 1.5% per annum reduction would not be all that significant either. It wouldn't, wouldn't feel that way from no. year to year, but it's enough for the population to go back from 7.8 to 3.4 billion in 55 years. If you go back at the same rate as you've increased it, you will go back to the population that you had. So it does. it's not like we you know, have to do something incredibly radical no. to halve the population. No. You, you're all no. aware of the law of 70? Do you know the law of 70? Well, no, wait, tell is, us all uh, about it. Hold on. No, that's that that's not Pareto 80-20? No, it's no the, 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 law the law of 70, of 70 is that okay. if, if you want to know how long it takes for something, so something that's increasing at 5% per year, yeah. you want to know how long, how many years it's going to take to double Okay, you go 70, so it's 5% per year. Okay. 70 divided by 5 is 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something that's increasing at 5% per year will take 14 years to double, mm-hmm. which means something that's – so one so and a half – so I don't what's, – what's 70 divided by one and a half? It's about 45 years. Yeah, ish. So, yeah, so uh, something that's increasing at one and a half percent, as was or has been the global population pretty much for the last mm-hmm. 45 years – so the global population's doubled in 45 years because mm-hmm. 70 divided by 1.5 is about 45 years. So if okay. we were to reduce population by 1.5% per year, then within 45 years we could halve the Earth's yes. population. Uh, and then you could, if you did it again, you'd halve it again. Yes. Uh, but it, 1.5% reduction doesn't mean that, you know, we can't have kids at yes. all. It's no, just it's don't, not a don't have crazy yeah. amount. Yeah. Can, can I... Uh, suggests a further problem with that though. Uh, there's a great book called uh, Lifespan by oh, David Sinclair, David Sinclair, yeah. which basically suggests that the people born today are roughly going to live to about 120. Yeah, but this is why David's yeah, raising okay. all those questions of we need to be so responsible mm-hmm. with the implications of this because they're not just going to be living to 120, they're going to be living well and productively. And that means more resources. Yes. It's not that they're just alive and sitting in a corner on minimal calories. Mm. We don't want it to come to that point. Mm. So with this combination of resources out in the world and potential to live longer and more healthy lives. But also to this, consume sorry, can more Can I just say something? This, yeah, this is sure. a fallacy. It's be, believe this is a complete fallacy. People are not living longer. You, you don't average reckon, life okay. expectancy has gone up, yeah. not because we're living longer, but because fewer people we'll die, die earlier. So it's yes. like the cancer so epidemic. The, we don't have a cancer yeah. epidemic. We don't die of other stuff. Sure. Mm. But yeah. The, yeah. So the main premise of this book, though, is that there's no biological reason why we have to effectively die. Well, yes, there is. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'd be glad. <laughs> Otherwise, to hear we wouldn't. Maybe I'm. Um, maybe I'm. Yeah. Maybe I'm misrepresenting uh, yeah. the the book. But yeah. more uh, people are, are sort of reaching the so-called human limit, yeah. but the human limit is not rising. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah that's we're not pushing point. that back at yeah. all. It's we're, just nonsense. Once again, that's David's argument is we're on the verge of being able to genuinely punch well, it out you know. in 20 years. But again, that's a sign to saying what he's seeing in the lab yeah. and wanting to potentially implement it into populations. Mm-hmm. Whereas what we're seeing is the limit at the moment of what the species does. Again, the fact we know that if people make it over 100, most people will have no eyesight because the retina can't last that long. Mm. So who wants to be over well, 100? Most people won't make it to 100. Precisely. Okay. Regardless of what you yeah. do, yeah, you, they won't make it because uh, very few people have the – well, and a lot of people who will, if they do make it, will only be because it, they're being kept alive. Massive yeah. medical intervention, yeah, yeah, uh, which is the problem we're seeing now. You don't make 85 in a good state. No. You make 85, 10 years into being institutionalised. Mm. I wonder how much impact that would have just even implementing – Euthanasia worldwide. Wonder how much impact that would have in terms of resource use. Uh, Logan, that sounds like you've really ever seen the movie Logan's Run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I've movie. even read the books. The books are great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, d- you were you were euthanized at age thirty. Yeah, twenty nine. Yeah. I can't remember. Is it twenty eight or twenty? Yeah, it's something. Was it like that or was oh. it twenty nine? Once you turned twenty nine, you were euthanized. It's either twenty eight or twenty nine. Yeah. So basically, you. And Logan is one of the people that tracks people down who won't surrender themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And cool. then decides he wants to live yeah. and gets into the interesting world of like the world of the people who've decided to age and see what it's like wow. and have children and raise them themselves and see what that's like. Wow. And it was kind of written by weird hippies, so it's very, very 70s. Yeah. The first couple of books are really good and then it gets really strange. Oh, but I've again, never read the books. There's an underlying ecological sense in this too because this civilization they build lives very contained to big cities where you don't get the sense the world is being stripped. Everything is being reused, recycled, renewed. They're trying, it seems, to have some sort of minimal input, which is part of the reason for you only get to be 29. Mm. Otherwise, you use too much to no added purpose. Oh, that's that's also a little bit spicy. Oh, it is. Yeah. Again, again, Logan, again, doing an episode on Logan's Run could be interesting. And I would assume the author's still Well, hopefully alive. we won't have to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, it's, it, yeah. We've digressed so bad from your topic. Oh, I'm so Phil. sorry. Yeah. But nature's got to, you know, going to impose, if it, you know, if the limit's there, which it is, mm. uh, nature will, uh, will sort things out yeah. and how long people and how many people get to live. Uh, uh, there's, you know, a lot of people say that one of the problems with trying to deal limit population is that fewer people will get the chance to live. Well, in fact, it's probably the other way around. The fact that we've now are eating into natural capital will be at the planetary level, even at the national level, but certainly at the planetary level, we've been operating unsustainably for a long period of time. We're going to limit the number of people that will ever get a chance to live Modern civilization. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I, I just with the sort of forecast temperatures for Adelaide in December, yeah. that you know, forty-four degrees. Uh, I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but if if we get forty-four on Friday, it will be the eleventh time in seventeen years Adelaide's had forty-four or more, and uh, in the hundred and sixty years prior to that, when Rick, so that mm-hmm. up to two thousand three, that early eighteen forties when they started. Uh, establishing meteorological records for Adelaide, we only had eight. So we had eight in 160 years. We're about to have, if we get it on Friday, the 11th in 17 years. How can you listen to the weather forecast and then still think that this is a conspiracy? I just don't get it. Sorry. Conspiracy? Oh, like as in uh, global Uh, warming. Climate change. All right. Well, these people will, will, you know, they'll never believe in climate change. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's inconvenient. We'd alter too many fundamentals in their world. Mm. And again, 
you know, to get back to your, your topic of the day because we keep hijacking yeah, yeah, you. My bad. But Sorry. this whole idea of, you know, you should only use resources at the rate the system can clean up the mess you've made and not outstrip, you know, those resources, not yeah. outstrip um, renewables or, you know, not to work any faster than you can come up with a substitute mm. for something that is not renewable. That should be non-partisan because it's yeah, not, it's that, not that's even... That's default setting yeah. stuff. It's not a... Yeah, exactly. It's non-negotiable. And I know I just botched those three, Phil, so if you want to no, lay them out no, so properly. the three are basically use renewable... So renewables, okay, you can use them forever. As yeah. long as you extract mm. logs from a forest at a rate no greater than the lot, the trees can regrow. So as long as you don't extract renewable resources, mm. like the same with fisheries and what have you, mm-hmm. yep. as long as you don't extract renewable resources faster than the renewable resource can regenerate, you can have that resource forever. Mm. Uh, problem is that we're extracting renewable resources at a rate faster than they regenerate. And mm. when you do that, a renewable resource is equally exhaustible as yeah. a non-renewable resource. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, there's now a ban... Uh, on uh, fishing for snapper in South Australia because the um, the species has collapsed yeah. and that's because of overfishing. We've yep. extracted, harvested too many fish faster than the species can regenerate. With yep. non-renewable resources, well, they can't regenerate. Yep. So when you use a non-renewable resource, you reduce the quantity of the resource that's available for future use. Yes. Mm. But you can still maintain the same flow of resources that you use over time if, as you use a non-renewable resource, you establish or cultivate a renewable resource substitute so that when the non-renewable resource has gone, Mm -hmm. then it's replaced by a renewable resource which can supply that whatever resource it is forever. And the other one, of course, is and which seems to be uh, the uh, most important of the three, uh, given you know, things like climate change and so forth, is that uh, you shouldn't generate waste faster than the natural environment can safely absorb and assimilate yeah, waste. Point. So the environment can s- assimilate waste up to a point. Yeah. Mm. So in the case of climate change, the problem is that we are generating greenhouse gases faster than the, the planet can, can safely absorb and mm. destroy. I mean, a, a carbon dioxide molecule only lasts for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. and, and we're cutting, cutting the planet off at the knees in the sense that we're not only can the current amount of trees and, and let's say, carbon dioxide-absorbing systems, uh, we're, we're producing more than that current system can handle, but we're also decreasing our ability to absorb... Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So yes, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's so hyperinflation. Yeah. stuffing it at both ends. Yeah. yeah. So, so deforestation. Sorry. So deforestation not only means you have less timber in the future yeah. to produce things made out of timber, but it means that you have fewer trees to sequester yes. carbon dioxide. Yep. So this is really tragedy of commons, right? Yep. It's uh, there are too you know we've got too many people fishing the sea the, to the point where the fish can't reproduce at the rate. That, I think yeah. that's called tragedy of commons. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So we need to limit. The rate it, so uh, one of the best indicators of the rate at which you're using resources relative to what the environment can supply mm. is a thing called the ecological footprint. You've probably heard of the ecological footprint. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the way they do this is um, they measure the area of land that, uh, given that you can't use non-renewables forever, you're going to eventually they're going to run out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you ultimately dependent on renewable resources. But um, what they do is they calculate the area of land that's required mm-hmm. to supply resources, um, absorb the waste and provide life support services 
uh, and that's the ecological footprint. The, then there's a thing called biocapacity. So remember, that's, that's what's required. That's the area of land required to grow, resort, absorb water. Biocapacity is the area of land that's available to oh. provide the resources, absorb the waste, provide the life support services. Uh, at the global level, the ecological footprint is 1.7 times global biocapacity. So what that really means is the rate at which we're using resources and generating waste, for it to be sus- current rate to be sustained, we could do it if we had 1.7 planets. But we've, we've only got one. So the only reason why we're able to do it is because, as I said before, we're eating into the stock of natural capital. Yeah. What we're doing at the global level is 70% greater than what can be sustained. So oh. There's a deficit oh. in the planet. Oh. So there's an ecological <laughs> deficit, yes. Oh. And, and it's been in deficit since about 1970. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's when the ecological footprint was equal to biocapacity. Okay. So it's interesting because people often think about, oh, you know, uh, industrialization mm. as the, yeah. the time when we started to eat into that, but it only no. really happened at 1970 is when you're saying that we, we started to. Yeah, we were. Okay. So we were eating to stocks, in, but there were other stocks that we weren't renewables, but would have been expanding. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so 1970 was, so up until 1970, the, at the global level, ecological footprint was less than. Bio, global biocapacity. So they're about the same in about 1970. Such an but you know, in, in what, mm. what, that's just nearly 50 years, 49 yeah. years. Uh, it's gone from uh, you know, 1 to 1 to 1.7 to 1. Yeah. So you get some idea as to um, how much it's been growing. 50 years to take yeah. it back. It, it explains why limits to growth, you know, Donella Meadows' book coming out yeah. in the early 70s, yeah. why that timing is then so important is, and why yeah. it affected people like Richard Heinberg so much. Mm-hmm. Now, just to put a, a positive little story in while it's still in my head, uh, there was a great thing on the BBC the other day that in Ethiopia, they've now planted so many trees in two provinces of Ethiopia uh, that streams that have not run for 100 years are back and running clean water. Right. Yeah, there's some good wow. news stories. I also got a taxi the other day and the taxi driver's from Pakistan and uh, they're plant- planting millions of trees. Mm. Uh, former cricketer Imran Khan. Yep. Uh, so that's a policy. So they're planting lots of. But of course, in other parts of the world, in the Amazon basin, they're still ripping them down. That, at you would have seen field. that on the news. Yeah. yeah well, remember the fires that were yeah. raging, and God knows how much uh, we've lost here in Australia. Uh, I, I, I went to a conference only a week or so ago uh, in Sydney, and flying back to Adelaide, flew over the Blue Mountains, and I was on the right hand side of the plane, and. There was – we were obviously flying over a fresh fire yeah. uh, and the fire was sort of going by the side of the plane And because I looked out my window and I was in the row immediately ahead of the row where you'd be looking over the right-hand wing yeah. and as far as the eye could see was a fire front from where we were to the horizon. That's because when you're that high, the horizon's scary. actually got a bit of curvature. Yeah. 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 So I – don't know how far that is. Yeah, so all those fires in northern New South Wales and it was just moving from west to east and who knows how much carbon dioxide's been released and how and what it's done to our wildlife. I have no idea what it's done to Australian wildlife. It's yeah. And it must that, be devastating. Is that is that a good segue into what what wildlife resources do for energy production and things, say bees? Uh, for food production and things mm. like that? Is that part of ecological economics or Well, yeah, okay. Broadly? So the health of any ecosystem depends upon the biodiversity that's contained mm-hmm. within it. And, you know, in ecosystems, we don't just live 
on you know, from on bread alone, you know. Yeah. So some people think that it's like that human beings only need to rely upon open fields that where we yeah. plant crops. And no, Almonds we also rely yeah. upon these bits of scrub on the side too. Yeah. They've got bees and all sorts of animal yeah. biodiversity, which holds the soil together, makes the water run, and yes. so forth. Water helps in the in the case of watershed areas. Yeah. Actually, prov- helps maintain the microclimate. So some places uh, in the Amazon basin receive less rain because as you uh, cut down trees, you, you clear trees, then it alters the, the local yep. climatic conditions. Trees actually help retain water and so forth. So, yeah, uh, biodiversity losses had a huge impact on agriculture mm. and will continue to have a significant impact and an increasing impact, negative impact, mm. of course. And that's the thing, rainforest essentially grows on ground that is not good. Mm, and when rainforests right. are gone, you get a few years because of burning them of being able to grow a crop or graze cattle and then you get a desert. Mm. So it, it seems what, you know, say the Brazilians who seem fixated on clearing rainforest for farmland don't mm. seem to get is how are you guys going to afford the synthetic fertilisers to make up for the fact that you've only got maybe five years of agriculture before the outputs deteriorate? It's like here in South Australia, if you look at farming in the mid-19th century on land that had never been farmed in the modern Western way. First five years, the yields were amazing. And then they just started dropping. Yeah, they were very lucky. They were very yeah. fortunate. They were five pretty good years. Mm. Yeah, but a lot of that Above was using up thousands of years of potential in the mm. soil. And ever since the goiter line was measured, the land above which you can only graze animals, the goiter line has been moving south ever yeah. since. So South Australia is a wonderful example of what happens if you take the natural environment, do something dumb on it, <laughs> measure the point where you could do that exploitative behaviour and then watch that exploitative behaviour destroy it and watch that line of, above this point it is not very productive. Oh, look, that point's moved further south. Above that line this is not very productive. Oh, look, it moved again. We're a wonderful case study for these ideas in a broader context. And yeah, the consequence of clearing, like my family farm. As a little kid, other than the corners of paddocks, there were nearly no trees. Whereabouts was the farm? Yeah, Gawler, so halfway between oh, yeah. you know, Gawler and Roseworthy. Okay. So beautiful, flat wheatland. Mm. But, you know, um, end of high school, year 12, I think in one month we planted 3,000 trees. Mm. You know, got the the um, you know, caterpillar tractor in with the ripper, ripped, you know, sort of trenches probably a metre deep everywhere, and plop the little trees in the trenches so their roots could go straight down and get through the limestone. Mm. Now, the difference it's made to microclimate. So in my own life, I've watched the transformation of flat land that was beginning to bake and look deathly when I was a teenager. So now in my late 40s, it's got more bird life, more bug life, more life generally, oh. thanks to all these trees that are you mm. know, six to eight to ten metres tall. So that the family still owns the farm? Yep. Yeah, okay, and so you've got the tree. They're now fairly mature trees. Yep, they're all now basically 30 years old. Right, and, and it's made a huge difference. Oh, just if if you decide you could do without those few acres of land, because you know, a tree mm. doesn't take up a, month, a lot of space, but it, its rootstock do. Mm. So you lose, I don't know, five, six metres, maybe eight, ten metres, every direction from a tree mm. in high crop yield. Mm. Big deal. Yeah. If well, you're, you're probably increasing the productivity of the rest, the of, rest it. of it. So overall, yeah. you produce more. So you, at, at a minimum, you'll hopefully come out increases. even and you mm. live somewhere that looks healthy. Mm. And the fact that this is still not the norm, mm. that 
mum and dad's farm still stands out as looking different because uh, yeah. the entire perimeter is grown up trees. Where some of the old dams were now have thirty year old red gums that are really now starting to en masse grow and look like little copses of of big old trees. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So how much so that you would have a clear disconnect for those people who don't aren't able to live on farms, live in those urban areas, uh, it, and people in those situations might not be able to foresee a visible change in their microclimate, let's say, where they live because it's they don't have like the arable land well, available. Well, let's think of something practical for suburbanites. Yeah. Okay, people who live in the suburbs, when you go out later, look along your street and look at the colour of the roof. Mm-hmm. The majority of roofs in Australia are dark because it looks nice. Mm-hmm. In doing so... We make um, warming in suburbs worse. Yeah. If the bitumen road is dark and the roofs are dark, we end up with hotter roads, hotter roofs, your air conditioning bill is higher, it's less <laughs> pleasant to walk out to your car, mm. it's less pleasant when you ask your kid to walk to school in their little black school shoes because they're walking on hot bitumen. Mm. Yep. Depends on how you darken your roof. I've darkened my roof by putting solar panels on it. But yeah, yeah, but that's fine. You can do that. That is the allowable version of a darker roof. But... Simply in the towns that have tried to say, let's lay down light-coloured roads by adding you know, the right gravels or colours mm. in, mm. let's only allow light-coloured roofs, and ambient air temperature and temperature near the ground goes down four or five degrees Celsius. Mm. So Australian suburbs now suck in summer because of the dark roads and the dark roofs. In the places where it's been tested, you can automatically change the sense of how oppressive summer is by changing roof colours and road colours. It might be important because uh, you do know that uh, one of the things that is helping to accelerate climate change is that so sunlight yeah. or sun's energy. Uh, a lot of it radiates back to space and one of the things that causes this is the reflection of the sun's heat by white-coloured surfaces such as snow and ice and, of course, as that... Uh, um, recedes the amount of snow and ice, uh, there's less heat being reflected back to space, yep. which means it's helping to warm. So the warming of the planet means less ice and snow. It's called the uh, ice albedo effect. It's very important. So as there's less ice and snow, there's less ice and snow because the, temp- the planet's warming, there's yep. air- less ice and snow to reflect the heat back to space to help cool the planet so it just gets yeah, warmer just and warmer. Gets it's, a positive and feedback yeah, it's a fo- yeah. positive feedback wow. process. It's yeah. part of the overall – there's more factors involved in that mm. positive feedback process, but that's that's mm. one important one. But one of the little things we can do in urban environments is, again, Adelaide's in a building boom. We're getting all these mini skyscrapers full of apartments. Mm. How many of them have gardens on the roof? Nearly none. And yet that alone – would help reduce that thing of the roof getting ridiculously hot, holding more heat, passing that heat down into the building, holding more and more heat, putting more and more heat than into the ground around the building so that the whole thing ends up being a permanent heat sink. Mm-hmm. So either get a white roof or grow a garden on your roof. Or put solar panels on it. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer I guess, to see the solar panels. Well, I'd rather all three. Yeah. All three would be good. <laughs> Combination. Yeah. So the, yeah, the thing is with all these things we're talking about today, this whole thing of how do you try and rebalance the system that we've destabilised? 
It is only down to our level of creativity and commitment. And most of the creativity is, but, has but, been done. But those three rules that I mentioned. Yeah, you've got, got to balance. balls down to that. Yeah, it's, you've got to balance got the three to, rules. Yes, that if we were to, again, extract renewable resources, no faster than they regenerate, extract non-renewables, no faster than you can create renewable resource substitutes and generate waste, no faster than the natural environment uh, can assimilate them. Uh, we'd have no... Of course, you have... that. that Depends upon how creatively you do things, but also the scale at which you do things, and that—that that is the diff. One of the differences between ecological economics and mainstream e- economics. Mainstream economists believe that all you need to do is focus on doing things a bit differently, doing things better, which basically means reducing the resource intensity of a dollar's worth of gross domestic product. So, gross domestic product is what you, as a nation, produce. Try and do things better, so the amount of resources, the quantity of resources you use to produce a dollar's worth of GDP uh, falls. That's great. Now, we should be doing that. There's a limit to what you can do. But, of course, the other thing is that's important is the, the level of GDP that you're generating. So even if you're using resources more efficiently so that the resource intensity of a dollar's worth of GDP is falling, if GDP is rise, I think we might have mentioned this last time. Yeah, we were we talking did. about this If GDP time. rises yep. at a faster rate then overall the quantity of resources that you use increases. So uh, this, in fact, this presentation I, I, I gave in Sydney, I, uh, I did it a bit differently. Uh, it was based on ecological economics and uh, talking about you know, our problem with our obsession with growth and the need to eventually move towards a steady-state economy. I used Paul Ehrlich's quite famous IPAT formula. Shall I mention that? No, it's, I don't remember quite, iPad or I would have no, mentioned something. No, no, shall, shall I say something? It's quite simple. So I is environmental impact equal to P is population, all right, times A is affluence, which is per capita GDP, which is basically GDP divided by population, times technology, which is – so that's the iPad. P, uh, I is equal to P times A times T. Uh, and technology is the resource intensity of GDP, which is R for resources divided by GDP. So if you've got P for population times GDP over population, which is your affluence, times resources divided by GDP, if you divide the P population through energy, you get with I as basic environmental impact is basically a function of the quantity of resources that you use. Now, when you do things better, sorry, when you do things better, what you do is you reduce the resource intensity of economic activity. So T in your form, I is equal to... Yep. So you want, you want P and A and T. If P and A and T, one of those goes down with the other staying constant, I, environmental pick, impact, goes down. So if A was to stay the same, mm-hmm. T was to stay the same, mm-hmm. population fell, then it would be a smaller P times the same A times yep. the same T, I would fall. If you had the same population but you reduced uh, per capita GDP and have the same technology, it would be the same P times a smaller A times the same T, yep. I would go down. Or you could have P and A being the same and you reduce T by reducing the resource intensity of economic activity. Or you could try and, and reduce all three. All, all, yeah. all three. The all problem is as well. yeah. most people are protesting in the streets about, you know, moving or stop mining coal and burning coal, doing this, doing that, move towards renewables, which is great. Uh, that... And, if, and, and, and it turns out we are actually getting better at 
when it comes to the quantity of resources we use to produce a dollar's worth of gross world product. So let's think okay. of it at the gro- global level. Um, we are using fewer resources to produce a dollar's worth of gross world product. In fact, over the last 50 years, we've halved the amount of resources we use to mm. produce a dollar's worth of gross okay. world product. But uh, per, uh, A, the affluence, which is per capita gross world product, which would be gross. So that's GDP at the global level when I'm talking yep. gross world Gross world product um, divided by human population is per capita gross world product. That has more – that's gone up two and a half times. So T has gone down by two, mm-hmm. A has gone up by two and a half, and population's gone up by about – a bit more than two in the last 50 years. So, so something that's gone up by two, yeah. multiplied by something that's gone up by two and a half, multiplied by something that's gone down by, it's halved, I goes up. Yeah, it's so, still bad. So, yeah, so that, now, when we're talking about P and A, we're talking about growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, T, we're talking about efficiency and doing things better. Yeah. Uh, so where we could be doing better, you know, we could be uh, we in that fifty-year period of time. I'm, I have no doubt we could have reduced the resource intensity of a dollar's worth of gross world product more than we have. That's but the problem is, it's being overwhelmed by the increase in P and A. So I put up yep. a diagram which shows popul- so population just goes up, A goes up, T goes down, but uh, not enough. P, go, P and A going up and T going down, you multiply them through, I still goes up. And that's why, and I, another way of representing I is the ecological footprint, the ecological footprint's been going up. Yeah. So unless we deal with P and A, we can do things better. Yeah. Uh, I, or ecological footprint, will continue to rise, and it has been rising and will continue to do so. So, yes, we need to do things better, get T down, but we have to do something about P. And A. Sorry, can I ask yeah. what the equation of um, P was again? It was population. so P is just population. Just how many? No, it's just, it's just number of That's people. Yeah. Really awkward. Apologies. Yeah, so I said if four yeah. before. So if you've got the same resource <laughs> yeah. intensity of a dollar's worth of, of of gross world product and gross world mm. product per capita is exactly the same, but you've got more people, yeah, then you're going to be using more resources simply because you've got more people. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's simply not enough to be doing things more efficiently. Like it's just no. not enough. No, not enough. We we need to do more. In that regard, yeah. we, you know, uh, and we could have done, as I said, could have done more, but we got, we need to be protesting in the street to do something about P&A. If we don't do anything about P&A, I will continue, because there are limits on how much you can reduce the resource intensity. Yeah. Of, yeah. You can't reduce You've, it to nothing. We've already halved it, right? Yeah. How much further can we? Yes, that's a yeah. good point. We might, I mean, at best, we may be able to halve it again. Yeah. Mm, but there's still too many people. Using too much stuff. Even yes. if we halved it again, I yeah. still think what P P and A would still probably outweigh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. the United Nations has been <laughs> revising its uh, peak population. It, uh, it only about twenty five years ago, it was saying that global population would peak at nine billion. Mm. It's now seven point eight billion. Yeah. It's now then it's now eleven billion is the peak. But it, it, if they, yeah, you know, it could be. Let, let's assume that it peaks at about eleven or twelve billion. That's that's fifty percent more than what it is now. And they're talking about. Uh, Per capita gross world product growing f- between now and the end of the century at the average rate of about 2% per annum. You know, as, as poorer countries increase yeah. their gross world product sure. per person and, okay, perhaps less so with wealthier countries, but still, you know. Right. The, so the, the, yep. the newspaper and on the TV, you're always talking about, you're hearing about people saying, we need more growth, we need more growth and growth, yeah. G- GDP. Yes. Yep. 
Um, so, uh, so if that's increasing at two percent per annum, population is increasing at roughly one point five percent per annum. Technology would need to become more efficient at a horrific rate. about three yeah, or four times. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd have yeah. that. That's just to keep eye at its present level. Oh, Remember, yeah, no ecological kidding. footprint yeah, yeah, yeah. is seventy percent higher than what the yeah. planet can sustain. Oh my God. So we've got to get the 1.7 down to one at a time yeah. where we've got population rising. Yeah, at one point five percent. Per annum, and uh, well, I don't expect gross world per capita gross world product to increase on average about two percent. No, it seems because ecosystems will collapse, and the capacity yeah. to maintain, sustain that growth yeah. in gross world product yeah. will collapse. Ecological systems go down, then social systems go mm. down because yeah. the yeah. competition for those resources. So realistically, you mm. get in the same way we've got a compound problem, mm. we will get a compound collapse, <laughs> mm. and That's after right. that, it'll be like oh. What do we do now? Yeah. Well, you know, these things will all continue to still be relevant. Mm. We'll still be doing the same. You know, we'll still be having to do iPad to work out how to get balance. Mm. So like well, you said, we need mm. to be thinking about all three, population, affluence, yeah. and technology at the same mm. time. So the mainstream economic view is you focus on T. Mm-hmm. P and A don't matter. And, and it's not just the mainstream. In fact, yeah, a lot of very little attention is focused on P and A. It's all on t- – and, and t- it's very important that we, you know, uh, use resources more efficiently because if you use resources more efficiently, use fewer resources to produce a dollar's worth of gross world product, mm. that means you generate less waste mm-hmm. because the resources that you use eventually become waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know anything about the first and second laws of thermodynamics, the first law is the – the law of conservation of mm-hmm. matter and energy. So yes. the amount, the quantity of matter and energy that enters the economy as useful resources, eventually exits in quantitative terms, the same mm-hmm. quantity as waste. Mm-hmm. Because it's the second law, the entropy law, that ensures that what goes in is useful and what eventually comes out is waste. Mm-hmm. As you transform resources, you can't help but turn it into waste. Nature has the ability to turn some of that waste through natural biogeochemical cycles. Some of the waste uh, driven by the sun, of course, into back into natural resources. Yeah, so, but, to, in, but it's limited in its capacity to well, do that. In, in some respect, that is only a matter of, of perspective. That thermodynamics law still applies to nature. It's just that oh, from, our, from our perspective, what we are giving them as resources is – sorry, what we are giving them as our waste is their resources and what they are giving back out as their waste is our yeah, resources. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so it's just mm. a matter of perspective. Yeah, that's that's one sense. way of looking yes. at it. Yeah, good way of looking um, at it. A reverse cycle. Look, but, I, yeah. I, 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 sorry. But I, you're I, right. But you, the point you made before about mm. you know deforestation. Mm. Deforestation is reducing the planet's capacity to turn the waste that we generate yes. back yeah. into it's natural a, it's resources. A right. problem. These, these, these biogeochemical cycles just don't happen in thin yeah. air. They yeah. happen in ecosystems. Ecosystems do the recycling. I love thinking about this in mathematical terms because applying numbers to it helps you actually tackle yeah. the problem. Quantifying it, it means you stop freaking and you start going, yeah. how do I work the yep, math? That's it. Yeah. You start realising you, you to have do. to deal yep. with population and affluence. All, all you need to do is start putting the, the – yeah. you need to put a, a surplus into the planetary yeah. Yeah. account effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> as we've made clear, the population issue is not going out and doing anything horrible. No, it it's just getting enough capable yeah. people to realise – have one kid, yes. invest in your community, mm. make sure that kid is well connected, even though it's not going to have mm. brothers and sisters. And that's all we need to do to be on a better path. Mm. In terms of affluence, fine, let's get more efficient. But let's also question how much more 
do we need? Mm. Even brothers, I mean, it's great having brothers and sisters, what have you, but uh, you'd find there's a lot of people who can relate more to their friends who are of the same age than their brother or sister who's five years younger or older. Well, in Uh, my case, being an only (laughs) child, I'm used to friends being family. And Mm. now because of years of teaching, I have friends who are in their mid-70s and friends in their mid-20s. You just accept that's your community because you made it. Imagine Mm. It's not that hard. The the world could potentially be a nicer place if we started thinking more about our communities in terms of our friends instead of our close family. Community is family rather than just the the immediate family union. Your idea of family would be a larger... A larger area, even, mm. and, and so I, that actually makes a, a difference in terms mm. of your ecological yeah. footprint because mm. the, your 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 literal kind of habitat is actually a much wider yeah. um, mm. ecological uh, sorry um, ecosystem to take care of. Mm. Yeah, and mm. it makes it easier, I think, too, to think about. Okay, I care about my community, but how affluent does my community need to be? <laughs> that's not to say we want communism. No. We don't want everyone having the same. It doesn't work. It goes against humans and the way they function. But, but you can't can have. Yeah, you can't really no. have a quite. I mean, I, no. I remember people say, "Oh, well, that means everyone has the same size house." That doesn't work. Like that. And I say, "Okay, well, let's. Yeah, you could have everyone having the same size yep. house, identical house." Okay, what if someone has a house on the beach? Yeah, where you know I'm close. To, I, I've yeah. lived. Yeah. I'm four hundred meters from a beach. Yeah, so kind of and someone has the same size house <laughs> yep. uh, in an industrial area. It's Does that mean the person yeah. in the industrial has to have a slightly bigger house to yeah. make up for the fact they're not yeah. living in as nice a place yeah. as? And to what extent should the house vary? So you can't have perfect no, equality, and it doesn't work, and it's and it's pointless having it. But there, but there should be a limit yeah, to what a, a person to, has to excess. We won't l- allow excess wealth or we won't allow excess mm. suffering. Okay. So simply by saying there's a target range yeah. and the target range does not remove individuality. Sure. It does not remove the consequences of your own actions. But it says our community will be healthier and happier if mm. no one falls beyond a point. Mm-hmm. And if the way we make sure that works is by saying if you're above a point, you're going to contribute a lot more to the good of the community and that will limit your ability to have the second mansion. But there's mm. no problem with having the first one. I wonder how much we could do on a person-by-person basis to figure out our individual iPad. Uh, I wonder if there's like there would be a way that people could consider on a, even a day-to-day basis. Let's forget even trying to do this in policy settings, though that would be the most efficient way. If that is going to take a longer time than would be practical. What can we do on an individual? Uh, someone should work this out. They should work out uh, the way to do your individual iPad so I can go out on the day and know that I have left more resources in the uh, ecological economy than I have taken out. Does that make sense? Well, the, sort of, yeah, yes, but the ecological, so the way, the, the standard economic view is that even dealing with, so the general... Uh, view of dealing with population is a thing called the demographic transition. I don't know if you've heard of that. So no. yep. basically the wealthier you get, the f- as, as people get wealthier, fertility rates fall. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now, now the problem with that is per capita gross world product has been going up for the last 50 years, as I mentioned. Okay. A has been going up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. averaged across the planet, we're getting wealthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, fertility rates are in decline, but the population still rising. Mm. United Nations might be right that in 40, 50 years' time, the population of the planet peaks at 11, 12 billion people. Um, can we wait that no. long? Uh, that, that, presumably that would be uh, 11 or 12 billion people with a higher 
per capita, yeah. per capita gross world product. Yeah. Uh, the other problem with the demographic transition is it's saying it's relying upon an increase in A, increase in per capita gross world product, how, mm. how, how wealthy we are, mm. to try and reduce P. Mm-hmm. So mm. you're, you're hoping for an increase in one of your problems to help reduce another, another problem. Um, uh, the other thing is that uh, the standard sort of economic view is that uh, what you just do is you allow markets to you know, allocate resources more efficiently. As I said, they can work to some extent. They usually require some government assistance well, to do that, to, say, to reduce T, the T yeah. factor. Uh, but that's, that's not enough. Uh, so the ecological economic position is you go, okay, so if we're talking about um, using more resources as, a, as an example of, and, and, the, and a, as a consequence, the, the global economy is growing. Think of it, think, instead of an economy, think of a human being uh, who is putting on weight a person putting on weight is consuming more energy than they're burning up. Okay, if you want to stabilise that person's weight, well, you could allow that person to keep consuming more energy than they use up and every now and then you chop off a limb. So, yeah, <laughs> so they get bigger but you chop off. But that would be, so, but the best way would be to uh, cut the uh, source of the increase mm. in that person's yeah. weight, or at the at the source, which is caloric deficit. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. what we yeah. need to do is just <laughs> abide by those three rules that sure. I mentioned earlier: the, sure. the renewable resources. Yes, and so you place quantitative restrictions on the rate at which you generate resources yes. or use or extract resources from. Yes. Sorry, from the natural environment that you generate waste. Yes. Sorry, that returned back to the natural environment. Uh, one way you might do that is. Ecological economists are in favour of what are referred to as cap-and-trade type systems. So, as it is now, if I um, am a company that uh, perhaps processes timber, which I then sell to furniture manufacturers, whatever, whatever mm. manufacturers require timber to produce timber products. So I might not actually be a logging company. I, I purchase saw logs off a... a, a, a saw log or, 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 or um, a forestry company, mm-hmm. uh, lumber company, and yeah, I process the timber so it's useful for furniture manufacturers to convert into furniture. Okay. <clears throat> In order to obtain that timber, I would have to first – so what I do now is I just uh, say, okay, I need more timber, uh, and so the logging company just cuts down more logs for me. Mm. Uh, in, in the future, what would happen under a cap-and-trade system, you would say, okay, in order for me to obtain timber from a logging company, I'd have to buy some permits. And there are a limited number of permits that are uh, issued by government authority and the number of permits would ensure that the quantity of timber that would be processed and therefore would be extracted from forests would be no more than the rate at which the forest can regenerate so you're automatically – and, of course, if, if there's a demand for more permits, more timber, and there's a restriction on the timber, that all that happens oh, is it forces up. the price of the permits yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, that's yeah. all. No, inflation. So, yeah. but, but, no, but that's good because yeah. then that's, that's – you've got your sustainable rate of timber use. Yes. You're forcing the price up, which then forces like, – oh, okay, I, I can't get as much timber as I like, yeah. but I'd still like to – I've got all these orders for timber furniture. What am I, I know what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to make sure that when I – if so I'm, let's assume I'm now a furniture manufacturer. Yeah. I have to make sure that um, when I uh, use the process timber to make my furniture, yeah. I'm a bit 
more careful. You know, I, I don't just yeah, – I, yeah. I, I use it more efficiently. I make sure I don't uh, have it uh, – or the scrap that I might have, I might recycle it. Yes. Mm. Because it's bloody expensive. You get uh, virgin timber. So, sure. so you'll use the – so the higher price yeah. will induce – Manufacturers to use the resources more efficiently. So, but that seems have, to only lower T, right? No, no, no. Okay. Yes, yes, okay. but but yes, that will lower T. Uh, but what it will do is it will fix R. So remember, the T was resources divided by gross world product. Yes. So that yep. fixes yes, yes. R. Because yes. remember, when you cancel through P for population and mm. the gross world, pro- you end up with I is. A function of R, mm-hmm. because it was P times uh, gross world product divided by P times uh, R divided by gross world product. Yes. And if you cancel that, you just get with I as it. So that's why I is a function of R. Okay. So you set R, mm-hmm. uh, you you limit it, you cap it, mm-hmm. and so in doing so, you cap the environmental impact. Yeah. Nice. Then what it means is that if you cap R and the higher price induces greater efficiency for that R, you can have more gross world product. Yeah, yeah. So it means that you could sustain – so if the, uh, the A yes. gross world product divided by P, if that didn't change that ratio, yeah. you could actually sustain a higher population. Okay, yes. And so – And growth? So you could – well, you could – only because you're using resources more efficiently. So mm. the, the rate – so P would – well, you could sustain a higher population. You might instead say, okay – let's have a uh, same population, then you could actually sustain a higher per capita gross world product. Yeah. So, so, so we could actually grow- enjoy yeah. wealthier lives oh. and it'd be sustainable. Now, but, but the thing is, so the ecological economic position is you must target R first through yes. caps. Yes. You can't rely upon efficiency to yes. reduce R no. because if you rely upon efficiency, all you do is affect T. Yeah. Okay, and if P and A go up, I can still go up. My problem with that is the only way you're going to be able to sell that is if you mm. explain that to some that, yeah. that whole story mm. to someone. And I'm not sure that currently the good old mainstream news media will it's going to take give, the time give to it the airtime to say, no. look, this is the equation. They're just going to say we're putting caps on things like the carbon tax or whatever it is, mm. and then people will protest it and well, it's, they may it's well. bad for business yeah. and all that mm. kind of yeah. Well, if, uh, my, if, my, my response to that, and you, you're quite right. In fact, I think that's what's going to happen. Mm. But then we just destroy the planet. Yeah. But if they. So if it's too complex, it's too difficult, people don't like it, yeah. well then, okay, destroy the planet. Yeah. It's, 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 there's yeah. no alternative. Yeah. yeah but you have to restrict R to restrict I, mm. which is 70% above what the, the planet be. can sustain. But yeah. if you explain the three basic rules of ecological economics first. Yeah. And get them so normal in people's heads. Yes. This yes. is the foundation position. Yes. Everything else we talk about after that point is always going to, you know, be seen mm-hmm. in those three basic rules. Mm-hmm. So if you want to stay on the side where they're out of balance, mm-hmm. guess what? We've already set up why it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me here, it's one of those things again. You can get into the nitty gritty and the details mm-hmm. with people. Sure. No, make sure everyone understands the fundamentals, yep. Yep. and everyone yep. can relate it mm-hmm. back to the fundamentals, and, and put it and insert it in the culture in a way that it's the, so the, normalized the, to the, think the, in those three yes, rules. The leader, this is coming back to Ben Horowitz's. What what you do is who you, you are. are, and you that's put, what the three rules are. Yes, you, yeah, exactly. Those are your those are your company cultural rules yes. or whatever. Instead of having it, you know, uh, mm. Australia, you know, you have a go, you get a go, or whatever. Is yeah. your bloody company mm. culture for Australia? You have it as here's your three equal 
ideological rules. rules. This is this mm. is this our is non-negotiable. This is our non-negotiable culture rules for Australia, and then everyone starts yep. to espouse them without even necessarily mm. understanding the nitty gritty. Mm. However, that nitty gritty is incredibly interesting because it means you can yeah. tackle mm. the problem, and yeah, I but, like that. But another nitty gritty that I keep finding really interesting is okay, timber's gone up in value. Mm. We go, well, we could repurpose our land that we're growing something else on to grow trees. Okay, it's slow, but could we make a corner of our farmland trees and every five years we plant another chunk? So over time it just be a a cycle on the farm of having that additional income. That's a renewable resource investment. So you plan for, well, let's add some value very slowly and carefully. So this is far more about planning slowly and carefully. You can't just keep taking. Like planning now is, what are we going to do three quarters from now, nine months from now? Screw that. It needs to be, what are you going to do 30 years from now? So We we need need to get time frame back. This has to be something where the vision grows out of these three clear Mm. rules Mm. you know your Mm. vision can't be for what we do in nine months with a resource your vision has to be how do we use land now Mm. to situate ourselves better to be able to have more timber later that is renewable because that's important Mm. this is the other thing too is you mentioned about people wouldn't would fear caps resource caps now one of the things i find when when, uh, i talk to people who have that sort of fear is i find they're technological optimists and the thing about being a technological optimist is that you should have less reason to fear a cap mm-hmm. than yeah, a technological person because, it be fine. because if you're limiting or on, if society limits the resources <laughs> that, are, that are being used, then if you, you, you think technology is such a wonderful thing, then we should be able to extract more and get more value yeah, from the yeah, resources yeah, yeah, that are being capped. Because it, uh, it, it's, it would be a technological pessimist yes. yeah, uh, that, w- that would have greater a fear because it was like, oh, okay, that's going to limit what we yeah. can do. Uh, yeah. So I just find it strange and it says something about the psychology of these people because it's, it's suggesting to me it's just the notion of a cap that seems to uh, freak them out. Yeah, freak them out, put them offside. Yeah. Um, side, and, and you know, people say that's they'd be very draconian borders on communism. Yep. And I say, well, you know, the the greatest communist of all is Mother Nature. Yep, she's the greatest communist because you know we we, we can we can push back the the, the you know the, the Iron Curtain as much as we like, but yep. when you go beyond limits and the, and 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 then the ecosystems collapse, and then we find that you cannot even possibly produce the food whatever to even sustain seven point eight billion people that yeah, we have at 11, present. 11 uh, then yeah, so better to limit yourself. And do it in a in a in a sort of um, orderly, orderly, way. cohesive manner, than to ignore the the absolute limits and have all this stuff imposed on you. When then it just becomes, uh, you know, the survival of the fittest, so, so to speak. Yeah, the, yeah. Or globally, yeah. it's yeah. going to mean, you know, it's going to. So I, I think the the excessive growth, the biggest threat is a security threat in terms of what it means in terms of implications for well. International peace or lack of it. No yeah. It's going to lead to wars. Yeah, well, again, this mm. is Richard Heinberg's point in the end of growth mm. that we will start misusing militaries to get resources. Yeah. Now, another or thing we, that pops we already do that to well, We do that to some but, but it will get infinitely yeah. worse to yeah. the point where a 19 year old from Shitville going to a military will assume they're doing it only for mercantile reasons. Yeah. 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 Now, to go back war. to something else again that I think is interesting here, okay, we've got our limit on 
you know, how many trees we can cut down. Mm-hmm. This would seem to me that the entrepreneurial opportunity is, hey, that old building's being pulled down. How much timber's in it and mm. what can we do with yeah. it? So it seems to me that the interesting thing with this is we are so used to just pillaging the new or the thing that we think is new in terms of resources that we don't see all the stuff that can be reused. So the entrepreneurial potential in caps to use what's already in use better for its reuse Mm. for its rebirth as a second product that that is where the mega potential is and for any person that believes in technology that reuse of materials should be where they're putting their time energy and Mm. entrepreneurship because that's the opportunity Mm. in this potential future Mm. to make zillions and still be very rich Mm. in a new way that is a sophisticated understanding of the terms of reuse and recycle. And that kind of comes back to a little bit before about how we were talking about um, recontextualizing or using a different perspective on the second rule of thermodynamics of, of yeah. waste and resources where, you know, we were saying uh, you know, nature like uses our waste as resources and their waste as our resources and mm. whatever maybe is inaccurate, but it explains the point. It, recycling is effectively adding a new perspective mm. to our waste. Mm. Effectively, mm. you're saying... Uh, we could have an entrepreneurial spirit toward turning the old or turning the waste of into or continue, resources. Let's call it continued use. Yeah. Because most things may not be useful to the in their current possible. form. Yeah, you can't keep using something forever. But no, yeah. but you can buy lots of time and that seems yeah. to me that's the point to aim young entrepreneurs at because that's the thing where they could do well but still do good. Mm. You can't use something forever, but you can... Buy time. But, 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 but second rule of thermodynamics, you can't destroy anything you, to yeah, the extent that yeah, you, mm. uh, atomically... Yes. It's the other thing about the second law, the entropy law, is yeah. that so you can't recycle energy at all. Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. You can only recycle matter. material matter, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, but it requires energy. Yes. So, and the more degraded is the matter yeah. that you're trying the to reconcentrate, the more energy. energy that is required. Now, yep. That's not a problem for nature because there's a big yellow thing in the sky that mm. drives it. Mm. Okay, when we do it with recycling within the economy, yes, we can recycle more, but it does require the use of additional energy. But mm. that is likely to be less energy mm-hmm. that you would be using than the energy that you'd be using if you were just extracting Making a lot from or, scratch. Or, uh, ju- yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, virgin materials. This yeah. is why I. I find the likes of um, praising people such as Elon Musk as some kind of environmental Jesus abhorrent because realistically you're buying a Tesla that is is far worse than, say, what they do in Cuba, you know, where they just recycle cars because they don't have any imports, you know. You put a cap on on car production and all of a sudden, you know, you can maybe convert, mm. you know, your old Honda Accord into a Tesla yeah. with the motor or whatever it is, you know. Right. It's not you, wouldn't nec- you wouldn't put a cap on the things you produce, no. but the resources. No, the resources. Sorry, just as an so, example. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. So we'd still be up to us to decide what we produce with Definitely. those resources, but yeah. we would be limiting the resource use to a rate that's sustainable. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Uh, and you've got to get – so ecological economics uh, starts with – Sustainable first, so because it doesn't really matter what you're doing, whether you're doing it well or or poorly. Mm. If it's if it's not sustainable, well, it's it's pretty pointless, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, So it starts with sustainable rate of resource use. Then Mm. it so uh, the idea of um, the caps. 
uh, and having to, if you want to access some timber, uh, you need to buy a permit. Mm. Uh, so that uh, uh, revenue, I guess you could call it that. I, 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 you know, there's the modern monetary theory aspect, but I'll. I'll <laughs> but I don't want to go yeah, into it. But, but, but that, that allows yeah. for redistribution of income. Yep. In fact, really what happens is that the money that is paid for the permit is a bit like a tax, yep. mm-hmm. which in fact f- reduces spending power, which then allows the government to reduce its taxes on low-income people so that they can be compensated uh, for any increase in the price of goods and services that arises yep. because resource prices have gone up because you've now had to purchase resource users have to pr- purchase permits to use not only have to purchase the resource but have to purchase a permit to access the resource Uh, so fix you do the sustainability first the redistribution second and then you leave it up to the market to Mm. efficiently allocate that sustainable rate of resource use Mm. in the most effective way and again, that's what we um, have to choose. But but do mainstream walk- economists do it. Sorry, the other way around. They mm. they start they they start. Let's do it efficiently. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll deal with equity, yeah. redistribution, scale, the rate at which we use, don't even think about it. Mm. Doesn't even enter their head. Yeah. And so we get interesting questions where you have to deal with the resource issue first, mm. because if timber is going to be limited, well, how much furniture should we build in out of bamboo? We start asking interesting questions about what are the alternatives. Mm. And in the same way, you know, we might want to eat particular foods, mm. but this is in the end what might limit meat production yes. is if you yeah, want meat, probably would. it better mm. come out of a warehouse grown in a vat yeah. because we can't waste mm. that much land. It's um, a very inefficient use mm. of limited resources. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so many things here, the transition may be uncomfortable, but the more we work out which things are the easiest to renew, the more we get back to mm. having a sense of abundance again, this but is, an abundance yeah. that's more sustainable. And, and the nature of alternatives changes. Yeah. So the alternative now is if I want this, uh, just extract more resources. Yeah. Uh, the alternative when you cap resource use is, okay, there's a limited amount of resources that are available to produce various things. Uh, should we produce this or that? You don't make that. Yet. There's less of a need for that choice in the yeah. current system because if you want to produce that, you don't go, should we produce that or that? Oh, let's produce both. Just extract more resources. Yeah. Yep. If, if, it's, if it's affordable, just do it. Yep. Uh, even if that the extra resources required to produce both uh, means that the rate of resource use exceeds what can be sustained, oh, well, big deal. So that question of what does community want and value mm. you know, become more important questions. We may want things, but what do we need? How do we deal with our needs first? Our wants can be above and beyond for excess resources. Mm. But that's a question that communities have to answer as a whole because there are going to need to be compromises made. That No, we can't have that. It's too damn inefficient. Mm. It does too much harm. Or, 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 or you can't, maybe you will be able to have both. Yeah, it's just this time. This efficient. time it will mean okay. We've only got enough new resources to produce one. Hang up, and as you as you yeah, mentioned, David, what, what about that wood that in, yeah. in that timber frame? Yeah, we, well, we could reuse that to produce the second, yeah. which just normally just goes to the tip, or because it goes to the tip because we pre, we we cut down 
More yeah, timber. Because it's got no clear yeah, because value we don't limit, for reuse. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, yeah but we, we... So when the, the current sort of situation is we want both. What we do is we extract raw resources to for produce everything. both. Yeah. But if there's not enough r- r- raw resources to produce both, then it's like, okay, only enough for one. How do we produce the other? Well, we might have to forego the other, but we might go, okay, we'll reuse the stuff that we currently... Mm. Yeah. Uh, can reuse or recycle. So where we really went wrong was when we started, when things started to become easier to buy again rather than repair. That seems like the, the, yeah, the worst yeah, for the, the beginning. Yeah, 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 and I reckon that was roughly the mm. 70s. You know, that I have, yeah. Well, it's so, been going on for, so yeah. as I mentioned right at the very beginning when I talked about the difference between the classical economists and the neo, in, in the, once upon a time, we lived on renewable resources. Yes. And then we developed the technologies to be able to eat into the stock of capital. Yes. Yep. When you're sort of restricted to the, the, the renewable flow, you, you're aware of your limitations in terms of the resources that you can use. Yeah. Uh, and then you do tend to use resources sparingly and sustainably. Once you start being able to tap into the stock of resources, you lose your uh, perspective of everything. Perspective yeah. of 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 what can be used in a on a sustainable basis. I mean, I always find it interesting the way, uh, for example, mining is regarded as another industry. Mm. Where you know, okay, I've got money I could invest to produce mm. product X and make a profit, or or maybe mm. I'll just maybe I'll buy an a, a, a mine an iron ore. Mine or and and I'll mine iron ore and make a profit out of that. Um, we don't look at resources as something we need to manage. It's a one-shot deal. You yeah. use it now. Mm. Yeah, your best hope is later to probably go mine dumps. <laughs> yeah, for all the thrown out wow. material. I don't mind. I don't mind mining companies making a profit from extracting because because iron ore in the ground is useless. No, but mm. we you, can't, you can't turn iron ore no. that's in the ground into steel. You have to. Extract it, but we need to know how much we want to take out this year, yes. next year, the next ten, the next thirty, the next fifty, yes. and say to them, okay, you guys are miners, but where's your re- relationship with the reusers? Because uh-huh. unless we've got a balance between the two of you, we can't have growth. Mm-hmm. It has to be the two of you together to have growth. Well, we can we can have an influence on 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 the rate at which those resources are extracted by saying, okay, if you want to extract iron ore, you need to buy a permit and we're going to allow so much. Yep. Or in order to earn a permit, perhaps you, with, with non-renewable resources, it's a bit different to renewable resources, you can earn a permit only if when you extract some iron ore mm. from the ground, you have you can show, demonstrate that you've at the same time you've begun cultivating a renewable resource substitute. Yep. Otherwise, if you don't, you you aren't. No so you can only extract you. it if you can cultivate the renew, renewable resource substitute. Yep. Uh, at present, they they're not required to do that. So you know, so the Department of uh, Natural Resources, you know, at, at the various government levels, federal, particularly yeah. federal state, that that should be a planned program. Yeah. Where you work out the rate at which you use resources, and then you allow okay companies. We need so much iron ore. We're only going to allow so much iron ore, so many fish, so many trees to be extracted. Yep. Uh, we'll, uh, you, you have to buy permits to be able to mine the stuff for society's benefit, catch the fish for society's benefit. There's a limit uh, and you can earn a profit simply because, yes, you are mm. providing a service to society by catching the fish. Mm. You know, the fish don't jump out of the water 
to be eaten. They have to be caught. The iron ore doesn't jump out of the ground to be turned into steel. Someone's got to extract it. Uh, currently, mining companies and a lot of – you've noticed that the, uh, the, the three main areas where you've got the wealthiest people are in finance who don't produce a damn thing. The other is property – uh, where in a lot of cases it's it's they're not really producing it's anything. It's a speculation, and it's and it's in resources, and like that's because resources use. are limited. And yeah. and of course it has what's okay. Using a bit of economics, uh, part of what is included in the price of resources is a thing called rent. Mm. You, know, you remember the resource rent issue that yep. the, the, the Labor government wanted re- yep. uh, rent tax and what have you. So currently the way it works out is that one of the reasons why mining companies, mining magnates are so damn rich is because they don't just earn a profit for extracting the resource out of the ground. I don't mind them earning a profit for that because they're providing a service. They actually also capture the value in the resource itself, which was created by Mother Nature. Mm. So, you know, I don't mind if company X earns a profit for uh, producing product A, which they've had to produce themselves, but mining companies don't produce iron ore. They don't produce coal. They don't produce mm. gold yeah. or silver or, mm. or or bauxite, whatever. Mother Nate, and so that value belongs. So they, they get to capture that value as well as mm. get the profit from extracting it from the ground. Whereas that value should be something that belongs to society. As that a belongs whole. to society. And they get yeah. paid for digging the hole, That's so but not David for God. the resource. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of people. They get, they get to, they get to. Uh, I, 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 I think I used to come up with an example. It was a bit like, um, or, uh, someone who came up. You know, you've got those um, devices that allow people to have hearing difficulties to hear. But it's a bit like saying, okay, um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to not only. Uh, no, it was people who had perhaps cystic fibrosis who had difficulty breathing and some company came up with something that could be implanted into your lungs which enable you to that's it to breathe normally okay okay so the company sells this product and earns a profit from the product fine because it's come up with the product yep. the way mining companies work it would be equivalent to this they not only with this company that produces this implement that goes in people's lungs to make them breathe easier uh, get paid for that, but they also get paid for the air the person yeah, breathes. The volume of air the yeah, person, the person breathes. breathes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And that's the dark way to explain it. Yeah. That's going to make all mining yes. companies really angry. But guess what, kids? <laughs> mining companies, precisely. And this is the thing. It's that thing of, you know, we hold things in common. We need to understand it that way to look after things better. Mm. To say that you can mine a bit of land and you get all the value, but all you did was dig the hole. Yeah. Mm. It's so unproductive there's so much wealth there that needs to be used carefully yeah and for a greater good than making billionaires and creating a generation of people who through fifo have a big house a jet ski and a cool four-wheel drive yeah Mm. those toys last short term Mm. this wealth has not been transformative wealth can only be there once needs to be socially transformative and no vision Mm. Mm. absolutely none Oh, my Lord. Uh, look, I think we should end there. Yeah, before um, our own brains just go into free fall, the yeah. lonely poor audience. I have things to do too. Yeah. 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 Phil has a life. We can tell. <laughs> he understands all of this. Look, uh, I'm, I'm, this is going to be um, a fairly 
low-key edit, so apologies, I might not make you sound quite as... Uh, I won't polish you up as much on this one because, uh, yeah, it would take me a long time. So uh, thank you, listeners, for sticking with us on maybe a, a mm, raw version of <laughs> Blind Insights. But, uh, yeah, it's been a, a fascinating conversation. We've all just been so hungry to try and contribute and say things. So thank you very much, Phil, for joining us because no uh, that's been absolutely fascinating. Can thank I just you. say... Did I, for my last uh, talk, mm-hmm. I, did I email you a presentation? Yeah, it's up yeah, on our Facebook. Okay. Facebook. I can also email you my iPad presentation also, from we'll the. Put it up yeah, with yeah, put the that episode. up there. Yep. Yeah, because it'll, sh- for, it'll, it'll help, re- explain, show, yeah, help explain it much yep. more. You'll, see the, you'll actually see a diagram showing P going up, mm. A going up, T going down, mm. and I, which is the ecological footprint, yep. going up. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, yes, again, thank you for that. And thank you for joining us, Phil. No worries. And thank you, David. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you, listeners. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Peace out.